going to go to Psalm chapter 13 today. Psalm chapter 13. Um, today is the last installment of our Learning to Lament sermon series. We've been walking through this idea of lament now for several weeks, learning what it is, how it can be helpful to us in times of grief and struggle and pain, and how we can use it to turn to the Lord in those areas. Uh, It's been really beneficial for me. I think it's beneficial for many of you as you've shared your stories with me, and so I'm thankful and grateful for that. And, uh, but we want to just continue to do more of that this morning as well. And so um, in Psalm 13 is where we're going to go for the, the last part of this. But we're also going to spend some time in Lamentations chapter 5. Uh, if you remember at the beginning of the s- a series, we started the book of Lamentations. We didn't quite finish it, so we're going to go back and pick up the last chapter. So if you've got an extra bookmark, stick it over in Lamentations chapter 5, and we'll get there in just a little bit um, as we get deeper in the sermon. Um, I also want to mention before I jump in this morning, uh, I've mentioned several times throughout the series a book that I highly recommend on this topic. Uh, it's by a pastor named Mark Grogop, um, and it, the, the name of the book is Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. Uh, you can get it on Amazon, uh, very accessible. Some of you have already told me that you've gotten it and have shared uh, your experience. It's a fantastic book, so if, if what we've been learning the last several weeks has been helpful to you, Get this book, go deeper, learn more, and let God really use this in even greater ways in your life. I know you'll be blessed by that book um, as much as I have been and as much as you've heard parts of it even throughout the series. So um, so this morning I want to start by introducing you to a new guy named, probably new for many of you, named William Cooper. William Cooper was an English poet and believer, um, but he suffered throughout his life from severe depression at different times. And he, had, he had lots of ups and downs and struggles with that, but he used these trials in his life, this pain, as, op- as opportunities to grow closer to God and to, to push in deeper. And he wrote several hymns that are still familiar to us today out of some of those experiences. For example, he wrote, uh, There is a fountain filled with blood. Many of you will be familiar with that one. Another uh, familiar one might be, Oh, for a closer walk with God. Um, but today... I want to introduce you maybe to a lesser-known hymn of his that is very much in line with the idea of lament, and it is called um, God Moves in a Mysterious Way. I want to read you some of the lyrics from this hymn to you this morning as kind of introduction for where we're going today. He says this, God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds of never-failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace behind, behind a frowning providence he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. I like that hymn by Cooper because it is real about pain. He's not afraid to to confess and to to lay out some struggles and some pain in our lives and what that looks like, but he's also not willing to stay there. 
He doesn't let the pain rule his life. He doesn't get stuck in it. He moves forward to trust God in the midst of the pain. With lines like, The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and will bring blessings on your head. Or that frowning providence is replaced by the smiling face of God. He's moving past it to trust God even in the midst of his struggle. And that's the fourth part of biblical lament that we want to touch on today. We've talked about four steps for biblical lament. Turn to God. Complain to God in honesty. Where you're at, what your heart is feeling. Then ask God for help. And then the fourth one today is to trust God in faith. And we're going to see that play out here in Psalm 13 because we don't want to just get stuck in the complaining or stuck in the asking. If we stop with complaint or we stop with asking, then we're not actually practicing lament. We're just getting stuck in our situation or stuck in our feelings. We have to move all the way to the end. We have to go all the way to trusting in God in faith. And so today, learning to lament leads me to trust God in the midst of my trials. True lament, truly learning to lament leads me all the way to trust God in the midst of my trials. So with that, point number one today is this. Lament always turns towards trust. Lament always turns towards trust. We've seen this over and over again, all the psalms of lament that we've looked at. We see this pattern. We see the same thing here in Psalm 13. He's going to start by turning to God in verses 1 and 2. He's going to, uh, and complaining to God in verses 1 and 2. He's going to ask for help in verses 3 and 4. Let me show you here. Look at verse, or look at Psalm 13, verse 1. He says, how long, O Lord? He's turning to him. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Those are all those questions of complaint that we talked about a few weeks ago. Then he gets to verse 3. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. In verses 3 and 4 there, he's complaining about his situation, about this, this fight he's having with these foes that are against him and attacking him. And then he gets to verse 5. And in verse 5, it starts like this. Look at verse 5. It says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. This is a necessary move in every lament. That but moment. Where although I'm in the pain, although I'm in the struggle, I'm going to choose to turn and to trust anyways. But there is the transition from what seems to be true in the moment to what I know to be true of God, regardless of the moment. You see, turning towards trusting is believing the truth about God despite my circumstances, despite my current perception of what it looks like. And we see this in every single psalm of lament. Let me give you some other examples. Psalm 31 Verse 12, he says, I have been forgotten like one who is dead. I have become like a broken vessel. And then he goes to verse 14, he says, but 
I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. There's that transition again. Or how about Psalm 71, verses 10 and 11 says, For my enemies speak concerning me, those who watch for my life consult together and say, God has forsaken him. Pursue and seize him, for there is none to deliver him. And then verse 14, he says, But I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. Another example is Psalm 86, verses 14 and 15. He says, O God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seeks my life, and they do not set you before them. Verse 15, but you, O Lord, but you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turning to God in trust. That's the final piece of lament. But... I think we also have to be understand and be wise to understand that turning usually isn't a one-and-done event. Because oftentimes when we finally turn and we trust in God, the pain and the grief of our situation will outlast the trust that we garner in that moment. And so we're called then to turn again. And to lament again. And to continue lamenting and continue turning in trust to the Lord until such time that he shows up and fixes whatever the pain or grief or struggle is. You have to keep lamenting in order to keep trusting in these types of situations. Again, Pastor Mark in his book that I mentioned earlier, he calls this active patience. And he says active patience is when we're believing in God, we're trusting in him, we're saying, God, I believe that you are who you say you are. We're believing and we're waiting for God to move. And we keep believing and we keep waiting over and over and over again until he does. We don't let our trust be a momentary blip on the radar of our life. We continue to press in and we continue to turn back to it until it is proven true in our situation. Until God shows up. My father um, was here last week. Some of you guys got to meet him or see him. But this last summer, um, at our annual Gramps Camp uh, shindig, where he has all the grandkids at his house uh, for a week, they were setting up the slip and slide one day, and he had a little accident, and it all in the in the wash he tore the muscles in both of his legs above the knee making him completely unable to stand or walk at all like those are the muscles i guess evidently i'm not an anatomy person but that you have to have those to stand and so he couldn't stand he couldn't walk he couldn't do anything so he had to have immediate surgery on both legs but because both legs were injured he couldn't get out of bed at all for six weeks. Like, had to be just completely immobile to let those heal before he could even start any type of physical therapy. Anybody who knows my dad <laughs> would know that that is absolute torture for him. He, he's always moving. He's always active. He's always wanting to be doing something or working on something. Like, he's, he's a go, go, go kind of person. So six weeks stuck in bed was, like, torture. 
And I think for a lot of people, when you find yourself in a situation like that, it's very easy to get discouraged. Right? It's very easy to, to get d- despairing and just kind of like give up and just lay there for six weeks and wait till finally time is up and we can start physical therapy and whatever the thing is. But that's not what my dad did. He was, just, he was talking about this last weekend. I didn't know this until he just told me this last weekend. For the first six weeks when he couldn't do anything else, he got a bar in his hospital bed there at his house, and he was doing chin-ups in the bed for six weeks because he wanted to make sure that his upper body was strong and ready to help him in the physical therapy process when it finally got to that point. He wasn't willing to just sit there and wait passively in the pain and in the sorrow and in the grief. He was doing whatever he could to be prepared for when the help was going to come. That's active patience. It's not just getting stuck in our grief and our pain and just being covered over in despair and sorrow. It's continually, actively trusting in God, choosing to turn towards Him and put our trust in who He is, waiting for the day that He finally shows up and makes right what is wrong. That's what we're talking about when we're saying the fourth step here of turning and trusting in God. True lament always turns me to trust. It has to have that component if it's going to be biblical lament. Point number two today is this. Lament always flows from a foundation for trust. It always flows from a foundation for trust. What I mean by that is this. Lament is never built on some blind, mindless, fairy tale wish type of trust. It's never asking you to believe or trust in something that has no foundation or has no, no footing. It's trusting that it's founded on the trustworthiness of God in his character and who he is, who he has proven himself to be. Look at verse 5. Look at what he says. He says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. He's calling back to mind who God is and why he is trustworthy. And so we see right here in these two verses, three foundations for trust that we can use when we're in moments of lament. It's not just for this one psalm. It's not just for this one situation. These three foundations can be universalized to any situation you're going through, any struggle, any pain. These can be a foundation for lament. So the first one he says here is your steadfast love. Do you know that God has a record? Not that kind of record. He has a record of love and faithfulness to his people. It's recorded all throughout the Bible. Going all the way back to Adam and Eve, and then Abraham, and then the Israelites. He showed up again and again and again, and has proven himself with steadfast love and faithfulness towards his people. We get to the New Testament, we see the same thing with the church. As he's raising up the church and he's empowering them to go out and spread the gospel. He is saving them from persecution. He is empowering them with the Holy Spirit. He is with them in steadfast love and faithfulness throughout all generations as the church spreads and grows. Even to our own story, Harvest Church. We're coming up on five years in January. 
five years of God's steadfast love and faithfulness where he has proven himself to us again and again, providing and leading and opening doors and bringing people to faith. This is a picture. This is a picture of God's record of steadfast love. But it's not just a corporate record of steadfast love. God also has a record of steadfast love in your life, personally. If you're a follower of Jesus, your life is a record of God's steadfast love towards you. That there was some point in your past where you trusted in the God of the Bible. You believed what the Bible said was true. And that, that His Son came to die for your sins and to grant you forgiveness. So that you can be made right with God again. And you believe that and you put your faith in that and you became part of His family. All of that is His record of steadfast love for you. In your heart, in your life. And we don't just trust God at the beginning to get saved. We trust God every step of every day with every part of our life because his steadfast love continues on through every situation that we walk in. The trusting keeps going through all of life's ups and downs. We can continue to proclaim, great is your faithfulness, O God. He says, I trust in your steadfast love. And then number two, he says, I trust in your salvation. Your salvation is pointing here to God's eternal plan for redemption. His plan that he started before time began. Before any human was ever created, God already had a plan in place of how he would save his people from their sins. We call that the long arc of God's redemption. This plan that God has put in place over all of human history, past and future. And that God is working out his salvation for his people regardless of what else is happening. So even in the midst of your situation, even in the midst of your struggle and your pain and your grief, it hurts in the moment, but we still have hope because we can look and see that God's long arc of redemption is still going. The story's not done. That one day we will experience salvation with Jesus Christ face to face. And we see that most vividly in Jesus on the cross. Think about that for a moment. That had to be God the Father. That had to be his greatest moment of pain. Sacrificing his own son. For the sins of somebody else. And yet, God's greatest moment of pain and grief was also his greatest moment of redemption for all of mankind. Because he knew the long arc of his salvation was at work and was going to be accomplished even through the pain and the grief. That's why we can trust him. Because the gospel has changed us and it continues to carry us through every situation. We're all sinners. None of us deserve the, deserve the grace of God. 
We deserve wrath and punishment and hell for our sin. And there's nothing we can do to fix it. There's nothing that we can offer. There's nothing that we can perform. There's no act that we can do for God that's going to make right what we've done wrong. And so God, in his mercy and grace, sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come to live a perfect and sinless life and then go to the cross to die in our place as a substitute for us. He paid our debt. He took the wrath that we deserve, the death that we deserved upon himself, and he was killed on the cross and he was buried in the grave and three days later he rose back to life, proving that he was God and offering forgiveness, offering salvation to all who would believe. This is why we can trust him. Because he's made a way for us to be saved. Paul talks about this also in Romans chapter 8. This can be somewhat, sometimes a somewhat familiar chapter. You've probably heard several of these verses quoted a lot. But I want you to think about it in the moment here of what Paul is saying in the picture of lament. So in Romans 8, verses 35 and 36, he lays out the pain and the suffering that we all experience in the Christian life. He says this, he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? We all experience those things. You cannot live in this world, on this earth, and not experience the pain and grief like that throughout your life. It comes to all of us. And look at his response in verse 36. As it is written, and he's going to quote here a psalm of lament. For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. So Paul's acknowledging, yes, this life is filled with pain and grief and sorrow and struggle. But he takes that confession and he surrounds it with the promises of, of the eternal redemptive plan of God. Earlier in verse 28, he said this, and we know that those who love God, for those who love God, all things work for good for those who are called according to his purposes. Yes, it's bad now, but if you're following Jesus, it's all going to work out for good eventually. That's the promise of God's salvation in our lives. Verse 31, he says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Even in the pain, God is for us. His plan of salvation is working on our behalf. Later on in verse 37, he says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yes, the pain and the struggles are real. And these promises of God do not take away the pain. But they do give it eternal, redemptive purpose. That we're walking through the pain for a little while until we get to see God deliver through his ultimate salvation. So we can rejoice. Even in the midst of our pain, we can trust even in the midst of our suffering, because we know that God's plan is bigger and his long arc of redemption will bring us through to the end.
The third thing that he points to here is a foundation. He says, and you dealt bountifully. Sometimes I think we lose this perspective. When we're really deep in the suffering, when we're really deep in the pain and the grief, we forget that even in the grief, even in the pain, God is still dealing with us graciously and mercifully. That he is bountifully showering on us his presence and his help and his comfort. And he will continue to give us his grace and mercy because he is a good and gracious God. He will deal bountifully with his people. Even in the midst of the struggle. And so this revelation, it leads the psalmist here. And it should lead us as well to faith-filled worship in the midst of our suffering. Look what he says in verse 6. He says, I will sing to the Lord. I will sing. Because singing often helps us finish lament. Singing has a way of bringing our hearts to a place of praise and trust that sometimes we can't get to any other way. We don't have the words in ourselves. We don't have it in our own heart at that moment to express praise and trust to the Lord. But if we can grab a song, if we can take somebody else's words that have already been written and use them as our own, we can respond and it can bring our heart to that place of trusting again. Again, we see this all throughout the Psalms. Psalm 28:7. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts, and I am helped. My heart exalts, and my song, I, and with my song, I give thanks to him. The singing is what finally brings him to that place. Psalm 56, 8 through 11 says, You have kept count of my tossings, put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know that God is for me, in God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? Did you see it? I praise, I praise, I sing, I sing, and then in God I trust. Singing can lead us there when we don't have the strength to get there on our own. We continue to trust Him, we continue to praise Him. Because even in our suffering, he gives us more than we deserve. This, when I was reading this, and it reminded me of of a story from our early marriage. Courtney and I, our our very first pregnancy that we uh, had um, ended in a devastating miscarriage. Um, It was completely unexpected, just kind of out of the blue. I happened to be out of town on business when it happened. Um, I think she, something like this, she miscarried on Thursday, um, and then I finally was able to get back in home on Friday, and then they removed our son on Saturday. And so obviously it was, uh, we were hurting, we were broken, we were raw with grief, but we were also scheduled, <laughs> we were also scheduled to lead worship at our church the next day. And I really wrestled with, like, oh, should we do this? Is, uh, can we do this? Is this the right thing? Like, do we need to let somebody else step in here? But God knew exactly what we needed in that moment, in that moment of lament. And ironically, not ironically, 
in his providence, he had already planned ahead of time that we were going to introduce a new song to our church that day. It was by a group named Starfield, and the title of the song was Remain. And these were the lyrics that we sang that God gave us to sing with our church family the day after they removed our son. It says, Defender of this heart, you loved me from the start. You never change. Through the highs and lows, as seasons come and go, you never fail. Day after day, your love will remain. Faithful and true, you are good. You are God with us. You're victorious. You are strong and mighty to save. For your words stand true. There is none like you. And when all else fails, you remain. It was true. It was absolutely true. All of it. But in that moment, I could not have prayed those things on my own. I didn't have that words. I didn't, I didn't have those words. I didn't have that to say to the Lord in my own flesh. And so God used a song to bring me to trust in him again. My heart needed to hear it. My voice needed to sing it. I needed to trust again. We all need a foundation to trust. We need a footing that our lament can stand on. And these are the things of God that he has given us to be that foundation. True lament is founded on my trust of God. So true lament turns to trust. It's founded on God's trustworthiness. And then point number three, lament is God's grace to keep you trusting. Lament is God's grace to keep you trusting. For this, let's go to Lamentations chapter 5. So go ahead and flip over. We're done with Psalm 13. Go to Lamentations chapter 5. A few pages to the right if you're not sure where that's at. Let me just kind of catch you up. Maybe you weren't here for the beginning of our series. So let's just kind of do a quick review on Lamentations. The book of Lamentations is written by the prophet Jeremiah. And it's a series of laments where he is mourning the destruction of Jerusalem and the exile of God's people. They have been defeated. They have been shipped out. God's city lays in ruins. Every, all hope looks lost. And as I mentioned before, the thing that's different about Lamentations is that it doesn't have a nice, happy ending. When we get to the end, there's not a nice, tidy bow tied on the end of Lamentations. It's left open because the grief and the pain is still ongoing. God hasn't shown up yet. And you're going to see that here in Lamentations chapter 5. And I want to point out, I'm just going to walk through this with you real briefly and point out the four parts of lament that we've learned about where they show up here in Lamentations chapter 5. So number one is to turn, right? Turn to God. And in verse 1, we see it right there. He says, I, he says remember, O Lord, what has befallen us. Look and see our disgrace. He's, he's turning and he's calling to God to see and to respond in this moment. And then 
Step two, he starts to complain to God. In verses 2 through 18 is this long list of just like rapid fire complaints to God. And he's just like shooting them off, man. Like, God, this and this and this and this. I'm not going to read all of them, but I'm going to just kind of point out some main categories of lament that we see him pull out here in, in these verses. So verse number three, he, he complains about his grief. He says, we have, we have become orphans, fatherless, and our mothers are like widows. Says, we, we've lost people, God. People that we love, people we cared about are dead. They're gone. He's complaining about the grief. In verse number five, he complains about being attacked. He says, our pursuers are at our necks. We are weary. We are given no rest. God, do you see the attack against us? Verse 7, he complains about the sin of others, those who have sinned against them. He says, our fathers sinned and are no more, and we bear their iniquities. Like, we didn't do this, they did this, and yet we're the ones suffering because of it. In verse 10, complains about health and physical ailments. He says, our skin is hot as an oven with the burning heat of famine. God, we're physically suffering here. In verse 13, we see him bring out complaints about work and financial issues. And he says, the young men are compelled to grind at the meal, the mill, and the boys stagger under loads of wood. God, we can't keep going on like this. Verse 15, he talks about just a, a general loss of joy in everything. He says, the joy of our hearts has ceased. Our dancing has been turned to mourning. And then finally in verse 16, he gets down to the, to the personal side. And he says, the crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. He says, part of this is on us. He's complaining, we've sinned and now we're suffering because of our own sin. And so he lays out all these complaints. And then he finally gets to the place where he's going to ask God for help in verse 21. Now, it's a little bit out of order here. Again, normally it would be ask and then trust. But he puts ask at the end this time. Because, again, he wants to show us that the lament is still ongoing. He's still asking for help because God hasn't shown up yet. And he's continuing to wait for God to answer. And in verse 21, he says, Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old. And then the trust comment is back in verse 19, where he says, But you, there's the but, right? But you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations. I believe, God. I believe you, I believe your word is true and that you will reign, that you will bring us through all of this, no matter what. One of the most powerful parts for me when I was reading Mark's book that I mentioned earlier is he tells a story of a moment, a time where he and his wife went through their own grief and lament. And the, he tells a story about him and his wife losing their daughter, Sylvia, um, just days before her due date. And obviously that was a tremendous blow to them and the grief that they had to walk through and just if you've lost a child or you've been near someone who has, you know what that's like. And they had to wade through deep grief and sorrow. And the week following their daughter's funeral, 
his brother-in-law sent an email to John Piper, Pastor John Piper, um, and told him about what had happened. And uh, he didn't know Mark at the time, but Mark, Mark had been heavily influenced by Piper's preaching and teaching and his books throughout the year. And so his brother-in-law knew that it would mean a lot to him if, if, if Dr. Piper could just send a short note of encouragement to them in this time. And so to their surprise, the email actually got through to, to Dr. Piper. And I'm sure he gets hundreds and thousands of emails. And, but this one made it through, and he read it. And he did respond, and he sent an email to Mark. And he said, I, I heard about your situation. I'm praying for you and your wife, and just gave him some words of encouragement. But then Mark, in his book, he shares that, the, he, that he ended his email, Dr. Piper ended his email with this statement. He said, keep trusting the one who keeps you trusting. Keep trusting the one who keeps you trusting. I love that statement because that perfectly captures the purpose and the power of laments. It's oftentimes hard for us to keep trusting God in the midst of our pain and our grief. We get weak, we get tired, and we want to give up. But the great news is, we don't have to keep trusting alone. We don't have to do it on our own or by ourselves. God will help us keep trusting if we will keep turning and complaining and asking and trusting. If we'll do the process, if we'll keep lamenting, God will help us keep trusting. We actually see it right there in Lamentations chapter 5, in verse 21. Look at his question. He says, restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Notice, we're not the ones doing the restoring. He's asking God, you restore us. You have to do this because we can't. We don't have it. You have to show up and help us through this process. God will keep you trusting if you will keep lamenting in the pain and in the grief. Keep trusting the one who keeps you trusting. Because learning to lament leads me to trust God in the midst of my trials. 